Last month, the Institute for Fiscal Studies proved that the pay gap between bosses and workers is widening. Average CEO pay among FTSE 100 companies was 145 times higher in 2017 than the salary of the average worker. 20 years ago, that multiplier was 47. Different organisations take wildly different positions on how senior bosses should be remunerated. In May, Julian Richer, founder, CEO of Richer Sounds, handed 60% of his business to his 500 employees, citing people before profits. Over at house builder Persimmon, CEO Jeff Fairburn finally stepped down at Christmas after years of criticism about excessive pay at the company when his £75 million bonus proved to be a step too far. Now all companies in the UK with more than 250 people have to report the ratio between their CEO pay and the median pay of their employees. But will that make much difference? And are big, complex reward packages much of a motivator anyway? Joining me to discuss executive pay and the psychology of motivation, I'm joined by Sandy Pepper, Professor of Management Practice at the LSE, Charles Cotton, Senior Advisor Pay and Reward here at the CIPD, and Julia Hanna of Verdita Consulting. Sandy, yeah, we have been talking about the executive pay system and how it's broken for years now. We've been making podcasts about it. But that gap between CEO pay and average worker pay, it keeps getting wider. Why aren't things changing? So I think this is actually a little bit of basic economics. Um, the pay of all employees, the labour market for all employees is generally relatively efficient. There are lots of people in it. So for an efficient market, you need lots of components, reasonably homogeneous products, lots of information, um, and in that way, the market can establish the correct price. It's self-correct. It's self-correct. The labour market for senior executives is nothing like that. It's a very uh, imperfect market. The products, if you like, the senior executives are not homogeneous. They're all very different. And there is not uh, lots of information. There's more than there used to be. Uh, But companies still don't uh, know the ins and outs of what their uh, most senior executives are going to be capable of doing or not doing. So we we don't have a very efficient market. And as a consequence of that... Um, the, the pay, which is the, the price of a la- in a labour market, um, is not calculated correctly in senior executive reward markets. So, Charles, CRPT has been looking at this th- this year, the, the numbers. Um, how much of CEOs, it's FTSE 100 and 250, isn't it? How much are they being paid? Well, we've noticed that pay has been going up remorselessly since 2008 for FTSE 100 executives. And then um, from 2013 onwards, it's kind of seesawed um, from year to year between a band of just around 4 million at the top and about 3.5 million at the bottom. So it's been bouncing up and down between um, that band over the last few years. So not a huge range. No, but you must remember that over the same period, um, pay for your typical employee still isn't back to where it was before in real terms before the 2008 financial crisis we're seeing levels of quite high personal debt and the belief now that work isn't as it used to be a a route out of poverty so julia you've worked in-house what impact does that thinking that charles just described have on people throughout the organization it must be demotivating oh absolutely i think there was some cipd research a few years ago that said something like 54 percent of employees felt 
that executive pay was excessive. And that has a real impact on engagement levels, trust in corporate business, potentially productivity. Companies only have a finite amount of money to spend. The more they're putting into executive pay, the less they're putting into pay for other other employees, but also in investment in plants and investment in people. And Charles mentioned work no longer being a route out of poverty. If there's not investment in people, then their their careers and roles can't grow. So it really does have a massive impact on engagement. Thinking about how CEOs are paid, I mean, long-term incentive plans... They're the norm, really, aren't they? And have been the norm since the Greenbury report. Would that be right? Uh, the first long-term incentive plans in the UK uh, were introduced by British Telecom and the Prudential and Reuters um, uh, just before, around the time of the Greenbury report. But Greenbury kind of established a, a norm. And it sounded um, like a good idea, didn't it? But you're not a fan. It sounded like a good idea at the time. Indeed, um, I believed in them at the time and um, in my previous life. Um, I was involved in implementing them. Uh, But I have come to believe that long-term incentive plans are part of the problem, not part of the solution. Why is that? They're very complex and uh, they're not very well understood, either by uh, the the public generally and uh, often by the people who who participate um, in them. So so people who who don't deal in these things, you just give us an idiot's guide to what they might consist of. So a long-term incentive plan, if you were participating in a plan, you would be awarded some shares on day one linked to uh, the performance of your company in some way. Um, So let's say you were given 100 shares. They won't vest for at least three years, possibly longer, For them to vest, your company has to meet a series of financial performance targets. Um, The effect of this is you've received a very complex instrument that you find it difficult to value. In three years' time, who knows what the circumstances in the market might be. You mentioned Persimmon earlier. The Persimmon L-tip was set up at a time before the government started to push lots of money uh, to encourage house building. Um, so the building the building firms benefited hugely from an upsurge in the market. So it was widely perceived as unfair as well. Widely perceived um, as unfair, yeah. And it can go the other way. You can have very successful companies, uh, I mean, companies performing very successfully, who have performance conditions that work against them. You know, maybe their metric is uh, in a with a basket of other the companies maybe um, some of those companies are taken over during the year that that sort of gives them apparently huge upside performance in terms of share price or or total shareholder return um, and you know your company which has just been growing organically doing the right thing gets uh, penalized because of a, a relative performance so false comparisons absolutely and thinking about podcasts we've made in this arena before and the complexity of executive pay packages Certainly, it seemed from from our interviews that a lot of CEOs don't understand their own remuneration packages. They are so complex. And if they don't understand them, it's hard to see how they can really be much of a motivator. Yes, absolutely. When working in-house, we did some change, changes to the long-term incentive plans. And people tend to want to participate because it's a status symbol particularly if it's only open to certain echelons of the organization Um, but if you actually ask people to explain it or to articulate the value that they're getting they would 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 really struggle to do that 
I'm thinking more widely about fairness and mm. the appearance of fairness and the reality of fairness. The measures that are used to establish whether a CEO is actually making a difference in the organisation, would it be fair to say they're reasonably narrow, as you say, around how the competitor's doing, how the business is doing? Should they be wider? Should they be more about the well-being of the staff or eco-issues? Or I mean, is, is that something to do? I mean, at the moment, um, how performance is defined is on a narrow range of financial metrics. And we think that uh, the CIPD, that actually success should be defined more broadly, looking at um, both the customer and the employee experience. We also think that um, focusing on one individual, um, as if the chief executive has personally achieved what all the individuals in the workforce have um, contributed to, is probably... Um, not correct and demotivating and in itself, demotivating yeah. in itself and also as Andy was talking about earlier get then the only way to reward these individuals is pushing huge amounts of money at them is probably not the best way of, of rewarding them and potentially demotivates um, the rest of the workforce and there are other approaches as well as you know looking at improving the talent pipeline you know Sandy was talking about how restricted it is at the moment we're seeing various initiatives to um, get organisations to widen that and um, encourage more women into senior management and ultimately into chief executive levels as well. What do you think the best options are, Junior? Um, I think it's twofold, really. I think for the long-term incentive plans, if we are looking at it, I think the measures need to be different. I totally agree with Sandy. What sort of things would you like um, to see? I think there's the, if we're looking at financial measures, I think they should be ones that the senior team can actually influence rather than, as Sandy described, the things that are influenced by the market and things like that. Yep. I think that's the first thing. Um, secondly, agreeing with Charles as well, that the metrics need to be much, much wider. Um, economic, social, um, governance um, type metrics. The UN um, has published 17 sustainable development goals. They, they, those sorts of things can be linked into, whether it's long-term incentives, but executive pay as far as targets and, and goals are concerned. Harder and to measure? Potentially. Um, but I think that's down to good target setting in at the beginning, as opposed to uh, trying to uh, retrofit things to a, a, at the end of the um, at the end of the process. Um, but I think things potentially are changing. Richard Walker, who is the MD of Iceland, was on BBC Question Time, and he referred to the role of business changing no longer there just to rich shareholders. So I think there is an appetite for having broader metrics. Um, and understanding that um, it isn't just all about the financials and that we define success in a much broader way. And I think there was a piece, wasn't there, in the Wall Street Journal um, not long ago saying more companies are linking CEO reward to sustainability targets. So there's a, without wishing to diminish that aspiration in any way, there is a, there's a fashion element here, isn't there, of what plays well in the media and in PR terms about how you're defining company performance? So if I can be a bit radical here. Please do. I mean, I think you use metrics to run businesses. You shouldn't use metrics to decide how you pay people. Um, CEOs are perfectly capable of working out uh, what the most important thing for their company is at a particular time. And it changes hugely. You know, the personal issue, a long-term incentive plan was set up at a time when there was one set of market conditions, uh, which a few months later changed radically. Um, so I think 
we have made the mistake of uh, being on this search for the perfect metrics. And I uh, personally believe that um, you need metrics to run businesses, uh, but we don't need to tie pay to metrics. We can uh, do pay in a different way. What do you think is the big motivator for CEOs if it's not pay? Because they say it's not pay, don't they, in surveys? They say it's not pay. Um, there is a long uh, history of research into motivation that uh, distinguishes between uh, what the psychologists call intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. You know, another of my uh, criticisms or critiques of the thinking about pay over the last 30 years is all the focus has been on extrinsic motivation um, and uh, we haven't given enough consideration to things like virtues and vision and and all the things that really make us go to work um, you know once we're beyond a certain um, uh, a point in terms of uh, you know having sufficient money to support a, a lifestyle that we feel comfortable with um, additional amounts of money don't really motivate people it's other things um, I'd agree I think most senior managers executives that that I do with actually want to do a good job they want to do the right thing and um, we are in danger with the particularly with, with the metrics and things like that of, of actually defining success too narrowly yeah I mean thinking about the level of of pay and as you say alternate organizations I do remember us saying in a previous podcast we looked at some data that said that CEOs weren't that bothered about how much they were paid as long as it was about what other CEOs were paid in that kind of arena and it was more about parity than the number which I thought was really interesting. So this is all this is fascinating and it is all about fairness. I remember a debate I had with uh, the CEO of one one company and he he said to me he said the only thing that matters to me is that I'm paid more than my brother um, and his brother was a very <laughs> successful entrepreneur, had set his own company up. Uh, you know, perfectly humanly, yeah. understandably, his th- this CEO's measure of success was how well he was remunerated in comparison with his particular referent, which was his brother. Now, in other conversations with other CEOs, um, they all had a referent group. And if it was mining companies, it was other mining companies, uh, you know, insurance, it was other insurance okay. companies. If it was what they wanted to feel was that they were paid in inverted commas fairly in comparison with people in their referent groups. And it's interesting because then clearly they understand the issue about fairness, don't they? But, you know, we have this pay, reg- uh, pay ratio regulatory system now so where it will be clearly understood about, you know, how much the CEO is getting versus most of the other people. There's a fairness issue there too, but that doesn't seem to be landing in the same way, does it? Why, why isn't that impacting more? I mean, do you think it will? Because the comparison is with your referent group. It isn't with the population generally. But is that the psychology that needs to shift? Um, possibly, but this is not an, an easy thing to do. So that is a task for remuneration committees, isn't it, Julia, Charles? So are they thinking too narrowly? Well, I think they are perhaps as they're constituted just focusing on the chief executive um, and we would like a broader consideration of not only just the chief executives but how reward is distributed throughout the organisation and thinking about, well, how can we uh, reward employees more fairly for their contributions? So can we give them um, a slice of the profits you know, for a profit share scheme? 
Um, can we give a slice of the profits through an employee share ownership program? I'm looking at it from a governance perspective. Um, should we take into consideration what employees are feeling about executive remuneration within the organisation? Uh, should we, you know, how can we uh, take that on board as well? As well as talking to executives, talking about, you know, well, actually, how would you um, like to get rewarded? Would you like um, smaller but potentially simpler and more immediate um, rewards than the current arrangement that um, you have at the moment? Well, Julie, you deal with Remco's. Do they think like that? I'm guessing they don't. Not all. <laughs> I, I will be honest. Um, however, I think with, again, with the new corporate governance code, I think two things are going to happen. One is they've got a wider and a broader remit. So they need to start thinking about um, how the executive pay aligns with the rest of the organisation. Um, so I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out. And we've certainly seen a huge increase in requests for remuneration committee training since January, since the new regulations came in. So I think there are some organisations that are taking the, the, the broader thing um, uh, very seriously. I think as well, the CEO pay ratios, some organisations will treat them as a compliance issue, a tick, tick box issue. Others, um, there's the opportunity to use it as a catalyst for change. There, there's no right answer to these things. It depends on your sector and all of those kinds of things. But just putting it out in the public domain will um, mean that it sits on the board's agenda and the Remco's agenda very, very clearly because obviously there's reputation. The media will be all over this when they, when they start to get published in exactly the same way as they have done with the gender pay gap. Yes, and the idea of broadening, broadening the remit of the Remco seems like step one, doesn't it? Because I was thinking about the, the layer down from CEO. We always talk about CEO pay, but looking at the data, latest data I've got, it's FTSE 100 companies. There's over 1,300 people in those companies who are earning nearly a million a year each. So th that's a significant number, isn't it? And should we be widening this discussion and, and getting away from this idea of a handful of people at the very top and thinking right across. It sounds, it sounds like that's what you're saying. Yes, I mean, I think it's important. I mean, at the moment, maybe a lot of the attention and perhaps justifiably has been focused on the individual at the top, the CEO, though in many instances they may not be the, um, the highest earner in the organisation. So I think it's only fair that we should um, be looking at, well, what about the level just below? You know, what, what are these individuals doing um, to justify this amount of money, how is it being distributed? You know, in terms of long-term incentives, or um, increasingly, the, you know, there's a focus now on the benefits, especially pensions, and uh, whether those are are fair compared to um, what the rest of the um, workforce is getting. But I think the f overarching um, focus within an organisation should be on the employee financial well-being of its employees, and what are we doing to promote that? Is employee ownership going to become more of a thing? I think we've been talking about this for um, a long time. Um, again, I, my younger and more idealistic days, I thought employee share ownership was a um, you know fantastic concept and uh, should be encouraged. Um, I, today, I'm afraid I'm not particularly persuaded. What, um, that it's a good idea? That it's a good idea. Why I not? Mean, well, the classic example, I suppose, is Enron, um, which... Uh, whereby employees had so much of their personal wealth caught up in shares in the company that they worked for. When the company went bust, they lost everything. Works um, for John Lewis, though, doesn't it? 
Yeah, but they don't have shares. Um, that's, ownership. That's different. Well, they don't really have ownership, do they? I mean, they're they're called partners, um, but the the company's owned by a trust. Um, I mean, sure, John they have Lewis, a voice, don't they? They have a voice. I, they have a voice. I don't think the voice constitutes ownership. I don't no. think if you talk to somebody on the shop floor at John Lewis, they'd say they uh, they owned part of the company, but they certainly um, have a voice. Uh, you, you know, John Lewis is a is a is a delightful example, but it's also um, pretty unique um, in terms of its uh, its structure and its constitution and its values. So, do you think we'll see more Charles? Well, in this knowledge and I suppose service and innovation based economy, um, success is a co- you know, collective endeavour. Yeah. So you would expect more kind of focus on team rewards and participation and information sharing and and voice coming up and down the organization so all those reward practices and wider people management practices that support this obviously that that's going to have have, have a big impact and those organizations that aren't able to do that will, will, will suffer in in the marketplace it's just kind of keeping yourself up to i suppose abreast of latest thinking latest developments and and unfortunately in in reward um, we're often looking at theories that were developed many decades ago, you know, Maslow and Hertzberg back in the 40s and 50s, when it comes to executive pay, principal agency theory, which kind of was developed back in the 70s. Um, so it's important that remuneration committees start thinking, well, what are the latest, what's the latest evidence out there? What's that showing? Should we start rethinking or reframing how we reward not only just the executives, but everybody throughout the organisation? Let's talk about organisations that feel they want to do things, but the anxiety is always going to be the disadvantage of being a first-time mover, isn't it, Julia? Do you encounter this? Yes, yeah, certainly. The conversation we have with, with remuneration committees is all about what's, what is everybody else doing. And they like the idea, but they don't, <laughs> they don't want to be first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's... We always counter and say, well, actually, it almost doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You need to work out what your purpose and vision is for your business, um, what your strategy is, and then the organisation structure and the people structure and the pay structures and things like that should follow. And I agree with Sandy, the um, point with regard to equity, sometimes it's about setting out what fairness means in our organisation. And this, therefore, is how the reward fits in with that. And then people will either sign up to that if that's Uh, works for their own culture and their own thinking or they'll decide that the organization is not right for them and potentially go go elsewhere but it's about being clear and I think part of the problem within the reward circle is that we're not necessarily clear we don't like talking about things it's a bit of a dark art and employees really don't understand how their pay is set how to progress their pay Whereas if we were actually a bit clearer and a bit more transparent about all of these things, it might actually help. That is a really interesting point. I wrote a piece for Harvard Business Review um, a couple of years ago on this whole topic of the psychology of incentives. And somewhere along the line in the discussion, they said, so where's the case study? And I said, well, I don't have a case study yet because nobody's done it. Now, interestingly, somebody has now done it, which is uh, the, the WEIR group. Um, uh, so we do now have uh, the first signs of a company changing the way it does senior executive reward. Actually, 
reducing the potential rewards for top executives quite substantially, but paying them in a way uh, that is has a, a longer-term focus and is more certain. Is, is it possible for you to give us a, a short summary of how, how they're yeah, doing Yeah, so they, they had a classic sort of long-term incentive plan type thing with uh, big targets, uh, lots of complex metrics. Um, they, a new chair of the Remuneration Committee, Claire Chapman, um, who has been involved, amongst other things, in a, um, a, a piece of research called the Purposeful Company a report, and is very much minded um, that that pay arrangements need to change. Um, uh, so she uh, worked with the, the CEO and with various advisors to replace their long-term incentive plan with a restricted share plan. So, um, I mean, still not quite as simple as I would have liked it to be, but nevertheless, um, uh, the executives got shares, they had no performance uh, targets, just as long as they stayed in place over three, four, five, six, seven years, um, they they got the benefits of, uh, of ownership. Um, so much more certain than long-term incentive plans. Um, and they reduced the total amount, the total rewards that were payable under this plan very substantially. They, I think they cut the, um, uh, the sort of the long-term bonus element by about 50%. Would you have said yes to that, Julie? Yes, I think I would. I think there's definitely, certainly the long-term incentive side of things has, has ratcheted up because of the uncertainty of the payments. Um, and I think, you know, uh, receiving something now as opposed to a another sum at some potential maybe, future yeah. date, maybe, you know, make makes sense. And I think that having that certainty and actually making things simpler will make makes a massive amount of difference. Uh, Charles, I know CIPD is bringing out a report on executive pay shortly. As I understand it, part of that involves you'd like to rebrand Remco's entirely and call them something entirely different and make them work entirely differently. We would like um, organisations to think about repurposing their remuneration committees and potentially even changing their names to perhaps people and organisational committees or just to basically... uh, give the impetus to think about reward and remuneration you know, more widely within the organisation, saying, well, this is what we're giving the chief executive. How does that relate to um, the others in the workforce? Why are rewarding um, people in this way? What are the skills, behaviours, expectations we want um, from uh, these individuals? So we need to wrap this up, but before we do, I just want to ask you two whether you feel, is that, that sounds like the way forward? Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I've been interested in pay for a long time um, uh, and I've done research in, uh, in the executive pay area uh, for quite a long time. But in the last few years, my focus has been much more about the purpose of companies and pe- uh, this phrase, people and organisation, which I really like. Um, because I think actually pay is a presenting problem, you know. Um, if you go to a psycho- psychotherapist with a sore back and he says, actually, the problem's got something to do with the way you were brought up, I'm, I'm being slightly glib. But, I mean, this idea that actually the, 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 um, the, the, the presenting problem is not the real problem. And I think, um, uh, in a sense, the real issue that, that our companies face is a much broader one than um, uh, how, how the pay of the top people is calculated. Oh, and Julia, I talked about the zeitgeist earlier. Do you think the zeitgeist is finally right now for organisations to take this thinking on board? I think so, and I think there's a definite opportunity for HR 
um, to really push the agenda on um, or agenda on this. And I agree, you know, it, it isn't just about pay. There's a whole host of reasons why we all come to work. Um, pay clearly has a, has, has a role to play. Um, but actually widening the remit and actually looking not only um, top to bottom in the organisation, but also more widely than just the pay bonus and share plans and thinking about all of the other uh, reward elements, intrinsic and extrinsic, will have a, have a definite impact. Well, thanks to all of you, Charles Cotton, Professor Sandy Pepper and Julia Hanna. There is more on the website, as always. And look out for that new CIPD report on executive pay soon. Thanks for listening.